Hello and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Shalat and as always I'm delighted to say I have been joined by Alex Balker. How are you Alex? Hello Neil, it's been such a long, a long time since we've spoken. Yeah, quite. Um and I'm delighted to say I've also been joined by Varun Vasudevan. How are you Varun? All good. Really happy to be here again. Again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for the listeners um This is our second attempt at recording this after I cut out um during our previous attempt just after the intro so we hadn't missed much so let's just do the intro again guys and make it sound totally organic and not at all reenacted okay um so what what we were talking about when we were last recording was a uh, a topic very close to to Varun's heart but also a topic that Alex um convinced us to take up this week rather than later So I was in a dilemma as to who I should invite to introduce it but I think Alex took up the honors. So let's do it Alex one more time. We are talking about the legendary, the ancient, the man who is probably doing training legend. 10 miles away from my house. No, less than that, about 3 miles away from my house. Ah. David Moyes. Yay, and of course that's someone Varun knows very well um, and I think he has an anecdote for us. Yeah I mean see the the moment you introduce it it becomes less <laughs> fun right um but anyway i was saying that just uh, two days ago there's this united group i'm a part of and someone posted the united fulham stats from 2012 or 13 basically the moyes era the one which had 81 crosses in a game and at that point i was like okay this is i am so far removed from this type of football and this type of uh, gameplay and it's like the worst thing i've ever seen but that was me 10 years ago since then i've grown up a bit i've understood a bit more there are different ways to play football and i think that's where today's episode comes in as a nice reminder of how there is still space for a moise in the game today yep and that is the big question we will be addressing uh, in this episode of course we'll talk about his west ham side how they're doing right now analyze their tactics and key players and stats and everything and then we'll aim to answer whether they're headed in the right direction and whether what they're doing is a sustainable uh, approach to take uh, of course quick background about his um, tenure at West Ham he was first appointed i believe in 2017 uh, towards the end of the season uh, rather in the second half of the 17-18 season when West Ham were in a relegation battle I think he was given a 6 month contract got the job done helped them stay up but then they didn't renew and hired uh, Manuel Pellegrini instead uh, but not too long after about a season and a half later they were once again in the relegation battle uh, Pellegrini left um, and they brought Moyes back in again and once again he got them to stay up and after that they've kicked on um, next two seasons his first two full seasons in charge they finished 6th and 7th and of course last season uh, although they didn't finish quite so high in the league they won a big one they won the europa conference league um their first european trophy ever if i'm not no sorry their first since 1965 um so i mean on paper the record looks really good this season they're seventh as well so back again challenging for the european spots uh so that looks pretty good but do we think this is sustainable that is the big question so first of all uh, let's talk about how they play i think this is the best question to ask varun after his anecdote um how would you describe moise's tactics varun 
Yeah, I mean, um, in some of our podcast episodes, we start with the in-possession stuff. And in some where we really appreciate the out-of-possession stuff and we want to talk more about it, we start with that. And I think this is a case of the latter. If you're thinking David Moyes and West Ham, you have to appreciate how they defend. And so let's just start there. And just like a quick look at the stats, they have the third deepest defensive line in the Premier League. Only... The, the two teams that are worse than them are Nottingham Forest and Sheffield United. Basically relegation battling teams, roughly, uh, in terms of quality. And if you look at the build-up that they allow for the opponent, they are the max. They allow the most build-up. So that's how deep they sit. And essentially, it's a bit like what we discussed in the Allegri Juventus episode. The strategy is we're going to sit back. We're going to sit deep. You can do whatever you want with the ball in your half, play your tiki-taka, build up, just progress through the first phase easily. But when you come into our half, that's when your struggles will begin. So that, that's the challenge a Moyes team sets out. And I would say, um, I mean, I see Neil has written a note which says a block with varying height. And I like that addition because I wouldn't say they're deepest line is super deep all the time like it's not like their center backs are next to the goalkeeper all the time their attackers are almost in their half so most of their defending happens in their half but their lines at times pushed up a little i would actually say they are the most vertically narrow block in the premier league so what i mean is the space between the lines, the forwards, the midfield and the defenders are very, very less, the least in the Premier League. And I did the math and almost within a 30 meter span, attackers to defenders, all of them are compressed vertically. So that is how tight their block is. And this is the basis of a lot of their defensive principles. They are not going to let you get space in between the lines. Uh, they're very tight. The distance between the players is very, very less, especially vertically. Um, in terms of their pressing, so again, it would be way too simplistic to say they don't press, they just sit back. I mean, largely, yes, that is true in comparison to the way modern teams defend with all their high pressing and aggression and not allowing teams time on the ball. So yeah, in comparison to that, West Ham are a lot, lot more... Um, patient and measured but they do press in their zonal uh in their own zonal way especially up ahead they have this block which is like a 4141 or at times a 442 uh 4141 especially against big teams because they have this big bank of um 541 almost at times um so in they press in their zones when the left finger for example imagine a small square rectangle um, just five yards around him. If someone enters that zone, he presses them immediately. Um, and then when they move out, he comes back to his zone. So in that sense, they have like a zonal pressing. The trap that they lay out is usually in the wide areas when a winger and a eight and sometimes a fullback also all uh, three quickly press and try to steal the ball. So you usually see those traps in the wider areas. Central areas are a lot more consistent. The defensive midfielder, the centre-backs, etc. Uh, the centre midfielders usually stay in their areas. Um, but as, as you go deeper, there is almost an aggressive man-marking type uh, thing going on. The centre-backs aren't uh, afraid to push up. 
sometimes when that midfielder does go a little wide the center back will push up and almost press in a defensive midfield area so they are very open to doing such things um and especially their defensive midfielder can even drop in the back line lots of times so etson alvarez uh, his role often defensively this season has been to mark the opposition striker if the striker goes deep to collect a pass etson alvarez goes into midfield chasing them and the stri- striker is trying to pin the back line he almost drops like a center back between the two actual center backs and in this sense there sometimes they form a back five which is an exact mirror man marking the opponent's front five the two center backs are in the half spaces the two full backs are marking the widest players and etson alvarez is chasing the most central threat the usually the central striker and you have a 515 marking system and then you have a four in front of it and then just the lone person antonio usually who is up ahead um you know for the out ball the target man once they win the ball back so very very strong defensive system uh very tough to break down so essentially lot of your teams which deploy a 325 moes has five people to deal with the attackers he has enough midfielders to deal with the 32 so then what you're forced to do is push in that extra person try to make it a 316 try to overload as they say and that is what west ham want you to do they want you to thin down your rest defense by keep committing players to try and break their block so that when they eventually get the ball they can attack a thin or a very spread out rest defense so that the basis of how they play is firmly rooted in their defensive stuff the defensive stuff and just to round out uh, sorry i took a bit of time but just to round this off one or two stats from this season they are 16th for possession 16th for field tilt uh, third deepest defensive line as i said but first for goals per shot third closest shot distance and first for direct speed of attacks so it's very clear what their aim is we don't want possession field tilt we'll sit back but when it matters they're very clinical and they're very good in their attack yep i think that's very comprehensive indeed so i imagine not much for us to, us to add but i think uh one one thing to note which you alluded to is of course while they do tend to sit back like this especially against bigger teams as you said their their height and maybe even their pressing intensity can vary depending on opposition depending on game state so they're fairly flexible in that respect and i think they have four uh, goals from or rather four goal ending high turnovers in the league this season so you know that just goes to show that they're not just going to sit back in a low block all the time um and i think the other thing to tackle is their stats because as as you've highlighted the their principles uh, are very solid and they're doing a decent job of it as well but if you look at the underlying numbers uh, which couple you mentioned and we can also add a good old xga they've conceded the sixth highest xga tally in the league Uh, and even if you look at goals against right now they've played 23 games we are recording this on saturday uh, and they've conceded 36 goals so they don't have i mean obviously it's a very defense oriented tactical system and of course then you get to counter attacking as well but you would imagine it might be a bit better if they could be a bit more solid at the back but i believe alex has a rebuttal he's going to prove why the stats are fake So Alex can you tell us why that's the case? Yeah and it's basically what Varon is 
I spoke about it's their play style. It's so different to like most other teams in the Premier League. So, you know, their main stats that people point out are the fact that on expected points, they should be lower in the table. The fact for expected goals against, they're, uh, they're like one of the worst teams in the league. I think they're like, uh, you know, sixth bottom. And the teams around them are Tottenham, which is funny. Uh, Fulham, Newcastle, Luton, Sheffield United, like four of those teams, you would say, are not having the best season or their, their best possible season. And also in their XG, they don't tend to create so much going forward. Like they rank, again, like about 11th, 12th in the table. So I think it's been very easy for people to say, oh, West Ham don't deserve to be there. But this kind of follows a trend of, well, I don't know how you two feel about this. I was talking about this with a couple of people at work, how I think underlying numbers uh, we're beginning to rely less on them because they feel a lot more suited to talking about teams who play in a certain way. For example, Tottenham, as I've just said, they rank quite high for expected goals against and a little lower than you'd expect for expected goals for. I think we might all hear that and agree, huh, that's interesting. Perhaps Tottenham aren't doing particularly, like, aren't doing as well as the performance on the pitch suggests. Perhaps there's some sort of come down to expecting their performance. But with West Ham, their expected goals against is so high because they just sit back, soak up pressure which means they're going to soak up loads of low-quality uh, uh, shots. And funnily enough, that is reflected in the stats because if you look at the non-penalty expected goals per shot against them, so that is measuring the quality of chance uh, they face, um, they they concede the third-lowest quality of chance shot, which is a mouthful. Basically, the chances they concede of the third-lowest value in the Premier League after Everton and Arsenal. Um so like, sure, if you can see lots of 0.01s, 0.02, uh, you know, not obviously a little higher, 0.05, 0.01s shots um, in XG terms, like that is going to add up. And every game we're going to be losing by like on XG terms by about one to two XG. Um, but that doesn't necessarily matter because if none of those are big chances, then you're unlikely to concede. And it's the same with their attack. Again, as I said, their XG4 is quite low. Um, but I think that comes down to two things. One, they're very deadly on from set pieces. And if anyone uh, knows expected goals, they would know that headers count for very little. Um, the XG on target tends to be higher, but like the actual chance, you rarely see a header worth more than like 0.3-ish, I'd say. Uh, and West Ham are uh, the second deadliest team in the Premier League from set pieces and from dead ball situations, so there's that. It's also the fact that they don't attack very often, so their average quality of shot is going to be higher because if they're... Like, basically, the trade they're doing is, you know, rather than attack with 10 shots that are blocked or from outside the box or a bit scuffy, they're going to attack with three shots that are in counter-attacking scenarios where it's a 1v1 maybe a 1v2, etc., whereas a, a clearer goal-scoring chance. So they've kind of hijacked the meaning of expected goal term, the meaning of line numbers, really. And um, I think this is the team in the Premier League where statistics really don't tell the story at all. If anything... Actually, I, I don't want to say they don't tell the story at all, but they don't tell the same story they would for other teams in the league, and you have to be a lot more nuanced with them.
Farrell yeah, has think, his hand up. Go on. Yeah, I think excellent points, Alex. And you're, you're, so, <clears throat> you're so right. I mean, both in defense and attack, you really have to look at the big chances. And West Ham avoid giving their opponents big chances. And they give themselves big chances. The problem is they give a lot of shots to the opponents, but a lot of them are low-quality ones. And they take very few shots themselves, which is fine because they get get the big-quality ones. So these caveats are just so extreme in their case. I mean, it's true for every team in the league. But it's just so extreme and both in defense and attack that the whole logic of XG minus XGA kind of starts falling flat for them. So really well done. I also just had another random thought when it comes to um, just in general, the tactical approach. I mean, Pep has often said that him bossing a lot of the possession and staying higher up the pitch in the opponent's half is him trying to defend first. Like that's his defensive mechanism, keeping the ball away from his goal, keeping the ball... Um, you know, in possession a lot so that the opponent has less of the ball. So it's basically an attacking principle that is to secure defensively. In that sense, would you guys say Moez is the opposite in which him trying to play deep, him trying to have these, you know, 4-1-4-1-5-1 kind of blocks and bait the opposition into attacking is actually just to lure them to finally transition and get a high-quality chance for his team. So is If Pep is attacking to defend first, is Moyes defending so that he can then attack and get that high-quality chance? In that sense, is he, is he like the inverted Pep? And we have to think of defense and attack in the same cycle. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. But in, in Moyes' case, I think it varies. Um I think the main main thing really is game state, to be honest. So, you know, on the back of what Alex said, I've just got some numbers up uh, with regards to game state. Now, these are understat uh, XG numbers, which aren't like the most, let's say, accurate XG figures. But we don't need to read into the exact values of the numbers. I think the difference, uh, like the discrepancies and differences between them is what's interesting to me. So, they've... As we record this, they've played about 2,000 minutes in the Premier League, roughly. Um, and of those, they've spent over a 1,000, so over a half uh, at an even game state, right? So that's the scores are level. Um, and in this case, they have a positive XG uh, goal difference um, of about three altogether. So they're, they're, they're a decent, slightly positive, like, you know, a lower top half table level team in, in, in such cases. The moment you go to them being one up, them being one goal up, which they've spent uh, 423 minutes in, so uh, a decent amount of time, their XG, uh, their XG difference drops to minus 6.3. So most of... I mean, they they are given a negative XG difference by I think everyone, including FBF and um, Soccerment and all sorts. So I think that is the general consensus, and I think then it's safe to infer that most of that negative uh, XG difference that comes is from that game state of being one goal up, and that basically ties into what Alex says because when they're one goal up, they are first of all happier to defend a bit deeper, um, put more people around the box. And more importantly, their opponents are more desperate and they'll be taking more pot shots. So they'll be sort of accumulating those small XG shots 
and adding them up. So I think to answer what you said, Varun, in these cases, I don't think they're defending to attack. I think when they're leading, they're just defending to defend. Because it makes sense. Like even at this point, their XG numbers are the lowest. Like even compared to um, when they have, let's say, uh, two uh, or rather uh, a, a multiple goal lead, uh, th- they don't create much at at a one goal lead even. So um, when when they're leading, basically they're just defending to defend. Yeah, makes sense to me. What and you said it, it it it's a perfect description for the neutral game state, the equal game state. In in that case, yes. And then, of course, when they're trailing, they can't really afford to do that a lot. I mean, they haven't trailed for a lot of time this season either. They've uh, just about 500 minutes altogether. Um, of course, when you're trailing, you can't always hit a low block. You have to press. You have to try and make things happen. And they're not the best at that, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, I think for them, it's just a case of ensuring that you don't concede first, um, which is, I mean, well, what, a, what a great insight I've given there. It's true for everyone. <laughs> um, but I think it's especially relevant for them is the point I'm trying to make. Um, and then, yeah, once, once also just up, to, they will defend. Also, just to add on both of y'all's XGA point, um, more than one third of their XG conceded has come in four games. And I think the four games are Arsenal, City, Liverpool and Chelsea or Spurs, one of the... Uh, basically, four really good teams uh, got more than one third of the XGA against them. So yeah, if you combine a lot of accumulation in big matches versus, as you guys said, accumulation in winning game states where they were very happy to let their opponents take shots, a lot of it is just, yeah, it's fine. It's normal. I mean, it's not a big deal. So Yeah, I think that's how West Ham or at least Moyes would argue it out. And he would be right. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. It's a fair argument, and it basically ties back to what Alex said, which is that, which is true of in in any case, really about you know, always needing to contextualize stats um, to better understand them. Because yeah, I think I think many people do say this, right? They look at West Ham's numbers and they say, oh, well, their you know underlying numbers say they should be bottom half team. So what the hell are they doing in seventh? And you know how have they gotten it twice? But this is what really explains it. And just to finally. Uh, illustrate the the point about uh, leading and trailing games. Um, so West Ham have uh, trailed matches on twelve occasions. Um, so they've they've been conceded. They've lost seven of these and drawn two and won three. So they've picked up eleven points from losing positions, which is about. Uh, I think like sixth in the league. So uh, to be honest, they're doing better at that than I would expect. But I imagine a good deal of that is against um, you know lower table uh, relegation battler opposition. But West Ham have led sixteen times, and they've only lost two of those games. One ten. Um, so they've picked up I think thirty four uh, points uh, after leading, and that's really what they excel at. So. Yeah, I mean, I think these are the worst teams like Everton, West Ham. These are the teams you don't want to concede first to because you just know they're going to score well and sit and it's going to <laughs> yeah. be a very long day. I mean, any team, top six, top ten, whoever you are, Champions League finalist, if, if you're 1-0 down to West Ham or Everton and it's just a really long day and it's a very frustrating day and yeah, credit to these teams. Yep, and so I guess... We've, we've spent a good time on their defensive stuff. Uh, we did allude to their uh, sort of attack as well because it's it's very much tied in, very transitional counter-attacking. 
um but but yeah i guess it's worth also you know giving that some time so when do you want to take us through their attacking patterns yeah i'll make it uh, quick they basically have three attacking patterns um i mean they, they have more i'm sure uh, and we have seen that you know at times they do a little bit of the short passing tiki-taka stuff now and then then they they do it so it's not to say it's only these three but these are three very regular ones you'll see the first one is in transition i mean what we exactly spoke of like we can just where we left it off um if they win the ball when they are deep in their half and they are in that 4141 or 442 or 541 whichever block shape they are they immediately win the ball and they lob it long to their striker and the striker antonio usually is at the halfway line he's the only one who's like roaming around the halfway circle everyone else is in like two banks of you know five or four and they lob it to him and he has the strength the back to goal to hold it up and the moment he's holding it up two wingers are darting into that space behind the full backs which is usually where teams leave space i mean once you pressurize a team to go into that 325 or 316 they are trying to safeguard the center so they will give you that space wide and that's where the wingers attack west ham and antonio has that ability to hold the ball up and then usually the two eights the two midfielders they come a little forward antonio drops it to one of them and one of them plays a through ball to the winger so it's like a very very simple pattern uh long ball to antonio antonio wall pass to a midfielder who looks up two wingers are running like crazy in the gap and he plays in one of them so and again it comes back to really good team building because if you need to play this way you need to have those traits you need to have those skill sets i mean uh, alluding to the gordiola thing he wants to be higher up the pitch because he doesn't want his players to run that much right so if you're going to be making a run if you're defending really deep helping your full back and then you have to make a run in uh, you know the attacking third in the opponent you need to have a certain type of profile and not only you need to be fast but really hard working antonio himself is so hard working so the front three are really good at that then you need to have two really good distributors or carriers in midfield who can enable that you know who can in transition very quickly make the right decision play that first pass or dribble a bit beat one person and then play the next pass rice was so good at it for them uh in the years before and even now they have some really good players that they've had paqueta is really good at it so it comes back to profiles and i think moise has used them really well so that is one pattern the second is in possession now here the goalkeeper goes long i think 76% of the time or something it's more than 70 and it's the highest in the premier league so they just kick it long to a winger and immediately <laughs> either the winger tries to control it himself and take a run or a number 8 and a full back will come really close to him the winger will play it off them and then they play antonio in the half space and then someone else the other winger or a number or another number 8 gets into the box and antonio tries to find them so that is a very very common in possession pattern where they just go long to a winger and then give a man support to the winger so that he can play uh play them first time or if he loses it they can come up and win the second ball and then quickly play again so in essence again forcing a transition so that is the second thing and the third thing they do is uh so i really can't call this an attacking pattern because i'm referring to set pieces they've scored a lot from set pieces 
and obviously just adding james ward prowse to the equation is a massive uh, boost to your set piece quality and a lot of their uh, xg that they've generated from set pieces the shots they've generated is thanks to ward prowse's quality but i think people also don't realize that they get a lot of free kicks and corners because of the way they play when you have these counters when you have these wingers running at you they win fouls they win fouls in wide areas what pros puts a kick in they dribble to the byline and try to cut back defend corner what pros puts a corner in antonio gets the ball while jostling with the center back and his strength is too much foul they get a central free kick that happens a lot it happens a lot more than you know people think and that's what leads to the set piece which leads to the chance so a very good reason for why they have a lot of numbers from set pieces because they also win a lot of set pieces because of the way they play in transition so yeah these were the three ways in which they have usually created and scored this season yeah and on the point of set pieces actually as you say they've got great deliveries they've got great aerial threats and i don't think it'll be a surprise to anyone to know that uh, in the premier league in terms of creating uh, xg the ratio between open play and set pieces uh everton and west ham are the top two teams who lean towards set pieces the most i think that's very expected but in the case of west ham they've actually scored less than they've created in the sense that they uh, now I, i don't think again xg is the very best statistic for set pieces especially because it doesn't tend to rate the chances maybe as well as it should that's a different discussion um but in, in any case uh, everton's set piece xg is 13 and they've scored 13 West Ham's is just over 9 but they've only scored 6. So if anything their sort of finishing of the set piece chances hasn't been as great um and and they, they could you know add a bit more uh in 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 this respect too. But I think uh moving on to the, the players unless Alex has something to add I think one player we need to mention which we don't have on our list is the man who has played the most Premier League minutes for them. this season do you guys want to guess who that is james warprouse uh, jared bowen i just said he he's not on our list yeah that's right jared oh, bowen and um yeah i th- i think he deserves a lot of credit because he's obviously he plays a lot as as we just saw he's very versatile he you can put him on the right or left put him on the wing basically or up top he's played up top a lot this season because antonio has missed about half the minutes um this season i mean especially last season of course antonio played a lot but i think now they have to say he's what almost 34 so they have to think about moving on because i i don't imagine he can continue operating at the level because his is a very physical role um so i don't think he can keep it up for a long time and uh yeah bowen has pro- proven to be a really sort of interesting replacement because he's he's not exactly a, a like for like Antonio replacement. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not quite as physically strong, but he still does a pretty decent job at duels. And the thing that sticks out to me about him is his exceptional off-ball movement. He'll make great runs into the channels, get in behind, or even come deep and offer for the ball. And he's he's been super super clinical in the box. He's he's in double digits um, for league goals this season. Uh, and he's, I think, his his tally at West Ham. including this season and then the last two is uh close to 50 i think it's 45 so he's he's i think someone goes a bit underrated when when we talk about attackers 
um but he has been very very important for west there was this uh, rumor that liverpool could buy him if uh, they had to replace uh, Salah. mo salah when he yeah. if he was leaving for uh, the middle east right um yeah. and i thought that made a lot of sense uh, i mean liverpool's right winger dynamic is exactly what bowen would thrive at very good off the ball very hard working presser good in central areas because he has the tight control close control and in general a very good left foot as well so i think is pretty underrated and a move like this to a top team where the tactics kind of suit him um wouldn't be crazy at all yeah absolutely and around so maybe moving on to our next player um a big reason why he's had to play in in, in the most central all this season is because west ham signed mohammed kudus in the transfer window and i mean i thought it was an absolute coup because i mean this guy's clearly he was ready for you know a uh, Uh, let's say a bigger or a, 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 a more um a club that challenges higher up the table let's say because he was running up the league uh, with ajax and he's basically done the same immediately since joining west ham and uh, he's he's it's he's an interesting one because he's not necessarily a pure right winger he's he's done a fantastic job there this season i think you know premier league fans will associate him to being a right winger but he's he's he also looked really good in a more central role at ajax and even not chelon before that um which it, and that was of course in more let's say possession based systems where they had you know slower possession kept more of the ball um but in in this role in the in the wide in the winger role for west ham he's obviously again been a fantastic outlet and threat in transitions he's a top class dribbler can go both ways and he's got great close control and footwork so it's very hard to stop him and then he's been very very clinical too i mean his left foot especially cutting inside is just yeah i mean once you let him do that you're in real trouble um so yeah i think he's been a fantastic signing for west ham but i i i do wonder how long they can keep him because he's still what just about 23 um so and he's still a pretty young player um so yeah like bowen i guess i i, I do wonder if bigger clubs might be interested in kudus i uh, one of the tweets of mine which went viral Let me was guess, manchester united yeah yeah i mean kudus scored against us and i was like <laughs> even when we went to ajax we bought the rot- wrong right <laughs> winger <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah so i mean he he was just as you said even at ajax very clearly meant for a better role and i kind of agree with you i don't see him as a wide right winger so in that sense i mean uh, my tweet was more for a joke but i don't think he should be parked on the wide uh, touch line and then dribble and stuff like that he was much better centrally i think he's an underrated creator as well he has some really good through balls really good final balls so he's the kind of guy you'd like i could see pep loving him he he can like do what foden is doing right now right um or what uh, um bernardo silva david silva have done in those high eight uh, half number 10ish kind of roles right so i can see something like that for him in in a better club so yeah i kind of agree with everything you said yeah don't don't be too down varun if anthony gets an assist this weekend he could ch- <laughs> he could catch mark flecken in the assist charts <laughs> anthony is racing a lot of people when it comes to goals and assists uh, uh, but yeah I, I, but 
honestly, sorry. I love, love their foreign comparison there because I think yeah, that's that's, that's great way of seeing Curtis. He's he's almost uh, a foreign who can also do a better job on the wing with you know more direct dribbling, which he's doing for West Ham. But I, I I'm one of those people who think Foden's better centrally, um, and yeah, I also think Curtis is better in a more central role. So that that's a, that's a good one. Now let's move on to one of Alex's favorites, uh, Lucas Paqueta. What oh, you know me so next? well. Yes. Yeah, Lucas, talking about players that are going to struggle to keep, uh, Lucas Paqueta, he has been injured, but um, he's had also had an interesting role this season. Before his injury, he was on track. I mean, he still is on track to get his highest goal and assist output in England. Last season, he got seven. This season, he's already on seven. Um, David Moyes, last season, I think, had a, a trouble with him. Paqueta isn't as good out of possession as other West Ham players. That's a, 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 a problem that he and West Ham fans have had. Um, uh, uh, Moyes and West Ham fans have had with Paqueta. So he, he kind of, uh, at points last season, he started playing as like a deeper midfielder, but then very quickly Moyes shifted into like an attacking midfielder. Now that's not really the best use of Paqueta's skill set. He wants to be on the ball as much as possible. This is what he did really good at Leon. He's a bit more of a... At his best under Rudy Garcia, in my opinion, he was like a box-to-box midfielder. Um, he was like the almost like the you got the defensive midfielder, then you've got him, then you've got someone like Husamawa who's doing more of the attacking stuff. Uh, so when Paqueta started just playing as an out-and-out attacking midfielder, didn't really work. Uh, and always kind of came to a happy medium around the last few months of last season. Which was in possession. Paqueta's going to drop in alongside Declan Rice, help progress the ball, help carry it or pass it through the lines. And out of possession, he's going to join Antonio in the front two, where he could be a bit more passive out of possession. Uh, it doesn't have to do some of the man marking that Rams outlined that the deeper midfielders might have to do. This season, Boyes has does a very very different. He's played him at left wing or left midfield. Uh, now, he isn't like a touchline winger. If you look at his heat map, he is still coming inside of it. But it's very significantly different to um, last season. And I think it was it's worked. His underlying numbers are up um, this season. Obviously, some of his stats like progressive carries and dribbles are also up. But he's generally, he's not looked out of place over there. Even like things like progressive passing's up. Um, this might be an area, to be honest, where... Uh, like I've got my things to say on it, but the thing that ki- the the klaxon that's ringing in my head is over a player that I haven't, I didn't watch in this certain role that I'd like to invite Ron to talk about. Ron, is this reminiscent of Bruno Fernandez on the wing? Because it kind of feels like that playmaker you put out wide gives him the room to kind of dictate the game. And uh, before I let you go on to that, like it is worth saying as well the out of possession stuff also helps Paqueta here because him being on the left means he's got, again, less of a defensive responsibility onto him. So it, it, it's done well for the team and it seems to be doing well for him. And Varun, does that have parallels to what happened with Bruno Fernandes last season? Before yeah, you start, can... Varun, for your sake, I would impose a time limit on you. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'll be done quickly. <laughs> I kind of see what Alex is saying. Um I also think what it helps with is just a much quicker play. Like if you are playing a game where it's just one touch and decision, then Bruno on the right, Paquette on the left, this kind of shifts help. 
it's not like you're going to carry much it's not like you're going to dribble a lot it's not like you're going to play one twos and build up and you know spend a lot of time probing it was just going to be that one dribble and cross or one dribble and through ball kind of uh, movements then yeah this makes a lot of sense and it helps their out of possession stuff as well which is where i mean um i think i agree with you i uh, yeah um, i don't know if i agree with you but the point is that which is where i feel if packeta goes into a possession side or a side that keeps the ball a lot then you might not want to do this you might want him uh, as you said more like a box to box eight or and maybe even a right sided box to box eight so that he can receive and then have those angles to carry play a one to with someone and you know do other short pass you know those kind of stuff so yeah, i think it really comes back to the tactics as well in moy's system this works direct fast one to touch decisions and you're on your way and then you just defend well which suits you so and i think that's also the reason why we play bruno on the right i mean those matches were very yes you get it to bruno bruno plays a through ball across job done now defend so works for that kind of strategy i guess right um now let's move on enough manchester united let's talk about i i would say west ham's most important player nah, i don't know i would say very important player for west ham this season and right up there with their be- i would say their best squad i'll say their best summer signing even ahead of kudus uh, which is james ward prowse now we obviously talked about set pieces um and i mean that's that's a simple one which everyone saw i mean ev- when when he was signed that was all everyone was talking about is you know they've signed ward prowse so you know add some 10 goals through set pieces to their tally that's going to happen and i think that is on course to happening he has six assists and i imagine a fair few of them are from set pieces um uh, but what i want to talk about is how he slotted in to their their style of play and their their varying approaches against different teams and and you know different states that we talked about so so he's been used uh as either in 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 you know in your central midfield or even especially against like bigger teams when they're defending deeper maybe more for back five more often as were outlined he's also been used out wide on 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 in the nominal right midfield role mostly and in, in both cases what he's done exceptionally well in is is starting their counter attacks because he, his his passing range is amazing his accuracy is amazing he, he can he can put it on a dime basically anywhere and and so that's why he has proven really important for west ham's counter attacks to get going so he he's done a great job of, of feeding the runs off the likes of bowen and kudus um and he is it just basically done a great job of accelerating accelerating the team into the final third so obviously he's got that passing i think he's averaged 4.2 passes into the final third per 90 which is really high um and also he he i think an underrated aspect about him is he can beat someone on the dribble he's not like the most aesthetically appealing dribbler like he's he's not going to get you out of your seats with like you know flicks and tricks and everything but especially when he's running at people he can just shift past them uh, and that again is really important for those transitions you know to beat those players get into space create space um and so with and of course he's also he, he the important thing which i i guess was maybe a bit of a drawback with packet as alex outlined is the defensive side of things while packet couldn't play that central midfield role ward prowse can also do that probably thanks to his experience in the premier league with you know another relegation or lower table team in southampton um he 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 has experience with that and he can do a very good job of both roles so when you add that versatility and of course the quality he brings 
I think he's he's really really a, a key player already for West Ham, and he's played the second most minutes for them after uh, Bowen. So yeah, I think I think that says a lot about how important he's been. Unless we guys have anything to add, let's get on to one last thing before we round things off, which is the signing of Calvin Phillips. Um, I wanted to discuss this because I'm just wondering what this maybe if this says something about what they want to do next or if maybe this is a one-off um so i'm interested to hear what you think about you know this signing i think varun has some thoughts on this so let's begin with you yeah i mean first of all i did not understand calvin phillips to manchester city that made zero sense to me homegrown quota uh, okay fine but again that's a really bad reason to buy a player yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, i'm yeah. sure there are other homegrown players that are also a decent <laughs> fit yeah but and it's not just the homegrown quota thing pep actually kept playing him the few times he did in the rodri role he expected him to be a holding six like rodri and i don't know when when i think of calvin phillips and rodri he was linked to United and I was thinking Calvin Phillips to Nemanja Matic because at that time we needed a Matic successor. So when I compare him to players like Rodri or Matic, it's like polar opposites. I mean, everything that they're good at, he's not. And everything they're not good at, he is. He's a ball-winning, intense, almost box-to-box-ish kind of player. Like he's like an Golo Kante, or, you know, kind of player. Or almost a Vidal, you know, kind of player. Or Herrera, where he's very active, covers a lot of ground, very intense, presses well, wins back the ball. Not really a good holding player. He was not a good holding player at Leeds. I think a lot of people have this misconception. And not really a playmaker, not really good back-to-goal receiving. Um, Just keeps things ticking and wins the ball and runs a lot. It made no sense for City. I think it makes more sense for West Ham. And the player I think he can replace and who I think is their not-so-great, you know, uh, link in midfield is uh, Susek and Thomas Susek. And Calvin Phillips can do Susek's role better than Susek. Uh, I think Ward Pros, Edson Alvarez, um, Pacquiao or Kudus, if they play in midfield, uh, they, they're all fine. And if the ball winner, um, intense runner... And the moment you win the ball, quickly release a winger or a striker. If that role is what Calvin Phillips has to play, I think it make it does make sense. Um, I see a lo- logic in the loan deal. And this is a better place and level for him than Manchester City. Um, it's not started really well. His first two, three games were not so great. I thought it was very unfortunate, the mistake against United. I wouldn't say it was really his mistake. The pass to him was really bad. So. It's just become one of those media things now where it's like Callum Phillips has had a bad start, three mistakes in three games or whatever. So I think it's becoming a bit of a pylon, but hopefully he recovers back from this because I think this West Ham team and this tactic does suit him. I've not really watched anything of Calvin Phillips at all, so I can't offer that much of an opinion. But what I will say is the only thing I do know of him is uh, from uh, Lee Scott's book on Leeds. And I remember I read that fairly recently, and as I went into it with basically nothing of Calvin Phillips at all, I came away from it with the understanding that Leeds he was just by Bielsa, he's just a really, 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 really intelligent player, and uh, like every chapter talks about how Calvin Phillips was doing this certain thing that just enabled the whole team to play, and he's just completely key to the team. So 
I'll, I'll throw that in uh, to the mix. But yeah, I, I I have no opinion really on Calvin Phillips. Yeah, I think, I mean, I see what Warren you were saying. But I think my main sort of point was obviously Alvarez has been a good signing. He's nailed on in that, you know, proper defensive midfield role. And you've got Ward Prowse probably as your, you know, as I said, your sort of uh, counter attack initiator. Um, and then the, the thing about Sauchek is I think he, he isn't as good as he was. So he's definitely like sort of declining. But I, I, I don't know if Phillips exactly fulfills his role because what's at his best, Sauchek was the literal definition of a box-to-box midfielder in the sense that he would make blocks and tackles and stuff in his box and then disappear and then pop up in the other box with for a late run and a header to score. And Phillips is someone who does a lot more in between, which is good and I think it's of, of course handy to have that. But he doesn't have that same impact in both boxes, I would argue. And with the way West Ham play, I would, as we discussed, those t- what I mean, obviously, it's very important for every team to be good in both boxes. Again, that's great insight from me. But for West Ham, it's especially important because they're creating those fewer but higher quality chances that they have someone who's who's clinical to finish them off. And of course, they need very very solid defenders. And when you think about it that way. I don't think Phillips is the best player they could have signed um, in that respect. And uh, now again, I I won't claim to know a lot about him at Leeds. I watched a bit, not a lot, maybe a bit more than Alex, but not not a great deal at all. Um, but but f- f- from that, the impression I got is that he's someone who might be better suited to a less direct system than West Ham. He's someone who can do with more time on the ball. And he, and he does pick those brilliant long passes. He's got an incredible passing range, which can prove handy for West Ham. But then they already have Ward Prowse, so that's that's you know maybe overdoing a bit. So yeah, that that's that's sort of that's a bit um, puzzled, let's say, um, about the signing. But I mean, he's he's definitely a good player, and he can prove handy as you discussed. But yeah. I mean, I've, obviously, the one thought that some people might have is whether Phil, signing Phillips means they want to sort of move towards a more possession-oriented uh, system in certain cases, which I think is unlikely. But maybe in the in the one scenario where they're trailing and, you know, especially against a lower-table team who are going to drop deep and defend, like Everton, let's say, in those cases, I think having Phillips will prove handy. Um, so I guess it makes sense from, from that respect. But uh, yeah, I think that, that that leads us on nicely to the, the, our, our final point, which Alex has entitled The Moist Cycle. Can you explain that for us, Alex? Uh, yes, in simple terms, it's the prediction that they're going to do really well this season, probably get into European football. Then next season, there's going to be signs of a decline. Like They're going to probably get top 10, but uh, you know there'll be West Ham fans say this is going wrong. And this is obviously assuming they keep him. His contract is up in the summer. And then the season after that, it's the fact they're going to get almost get relegated, like they did last season. And it's a, the Moy cycle is something that just keeps repeating. I spoke a lot about it with John McKenzie. I, um, the the Moy cycle was the terms come from him, so I credit him with that. The detail, I guess, is just that you know when you have a team where if you look at me and Neil Wolf, that's pre podcast. You look at the analyst website. Um, 
on the Optus, the analyst website, and it shows the zones of control which Premier League team has. West Ham have the least control on the pitch. I think it's the best way to put it. They have one zone of control, which is their own, not even their own penalty box, their own central area of their penalty box. And basically every other area of the pitch is either contested or dominated by the opposition. Most of it's dominated by the opposition. And if that, look, we, when you play the way West Ham are, what's going to happen this season is, well, what's happened this season is everyone thought they'd be bad because they lost Declan Rice and they weren't very good last season. So they've gone to West Ham as the aggressors and gone, we're going to try and dominate here. Um, and West Ham are, you know, they're in their sort of, we need to sit back phase, like we need to counter-attack phase. We're fighting a relegation thing. That's probably their motto at the beginning of the season. Um, next year, after getting European football, they're going to be like, okay, we can do a bit better now. Let's try and be a bit bolder. Maybe sign a couple of players who can, you know, dominate possession a little more. Other teams are going to expect it now as well. So they're going to go to some teams, try and sit back uh, or try and dominate. And they're just going to get into the problem where they can't break down a low block because they're not used to it. That'll kind of happen a bit. And then it'll get into the season after, uh, whereas what happened last season, they'll go, OK, we progressed a lot. We're a good team. Let's sign players like Gianlucas Kamak and Lucas Paqueta, who'll be really good on the ball. Uh, and they try and play more of the ball and then they don't know what they're doing because they're not used to it because they're not that sort of team. Every team just sits back against them, plays their own tactic against them, and then eventually they'll go, oh, God, we're really bad, we're really bad, we're going to have to just sit back, we have to go more counter-attack in football, and it repeats. And the reason I put this at the end is because like, I, I'm very curious to see if that changes because the thing that David Moyes has been praised a lot for recently is how midway during his crisis season last year, he abandoned any ideas of let's try and dominate the ball and uh, you know play a bit more like other teams in the league. I'm just going to tr- fall back on my basic principles. And it seems to have worked, but I'm very curious to see how long that lasts. Both of you got your hands up. That's fun. We'll go with Aaron first because he was first. <laughs> um, totally agree with everything you said. I mean, this is what I also wanted to bring up at the end of the podcast. And last season was in a much lower way. I mean, we spoke about this in our Inter Milan episode that Inzaghi also wanted this switch in his second year where he wanted to keep the ball a lot, play high, press high. I mean, again, at their level, you know, at the top four level, but he wanted to play a lot more expansive kind of football and it wasn't working for half a year. And then he completely pivoted and he just apologized to the dressing room. And they all said, right, let's get back to our basics, defensive organization. And everything is centered around that. And then, so, I mean, this is not to say that they don't want to do stuff in position. It's just that the cycle of attack and defense is centered around the defensive organization. That's what it meant for Inter. And then they had a great second half and they went to the Champions League final against City. And I think the same thing happened in the West Ham last year at their own level. They just went like the in-possession being the focus isn't working. So let's just go back to centering around our defensive organization and taking it from there. And it's really, <laughs> I mean, it's almost simplistic to say, but it might not be far from the truth. In the last four years, Moez has finished sixth, seventh, tried possession stuff, didn't work out, somehow bailed and came 14th. And now they are back to counter and they're seventh again. So it's almost like... All the elements, the whole world is just telling them, just stick to what you know and you'll come 6th or 7th. If you try this funky stuff, you'll go bottom half. So, it's a really tough 
cycle to break out of and i do empathize with them because i mean if i am the west ham owner or whatever you know if i am playing with west ham and football manager this is the way you break out of the cycle right you sign a few nice ballers paqueta skamaka you know these uh, kind of players kudos maybe who can play well in a possession system and then you start deploying it and then yeah you're not coming ninth you're coming sixth you're competing with the top four and that's how you progress but i think two things really work against them like when i see them coming sixth and seventh and i see the five teams ahead of them you have you have the big six the rich six now we'll call them they're not finishing top six anymore especially chelsea and spurs but you have the rich six the historical rich six you have newcastle which is the new rich uh, club and then there's always another pretender like brighton or brentford which is do really well and come sixth or seventh or eighth is just a lot of really good teams with really good squads breaking into the top 6 in the premier league today is Im- impossible almost for a team like west ham and to have such a measured progress from a mid block counter based approach to a more possession dominant approach in such a climate in such an environment might be near impossible like if this were syria or la liga and you're the fifth or sixth best team and there are only two or three dominant teams you can take your time you can be a sevilla or a villarreal or a valencia and take your time going from eighth to seventh to sixth and slowly build your way maybe in the premier league you probably can't do that so i do really empathize with their condition and my take on this is them probably coming 6th and 7th and 8th in the premier league is pretty good for their club and it sounds really sad but if they align their finances in a way their spends in a way that they are profitable while coming 6th 7th 8th always in the league that's a really good deal to have and a nice place to sit at until it all you know goes bust and they have to think of a new man i mean david moyes isn't young and eternal so they'll have to think of another manager at some point or maybe that one year when he is the only mid block team left and everyone know, knows how to break him and he gets sacked then they'll have to think of it but i think until this works they probably just have to keep doing this and see if they can get 2 3 4 how many more, ever more years they can out of this yeah i totally agree with you guys and i think what i'm i when we're talking about callan phillips this is basically what i was alluding to is that you know are they going down that path again but as you say when i think there's a couple of mitigating factors to that one is obviously that it's happened very recently so you'd imagine they don't do it again um, and two is the fact that it's now tougher to get the european spots um so yeah i, I guess last thing do you guys think west ham can get europe this season let's end with our predictions i'm going to say no i think brighton mm, i i don't know actually but i'm going to say no i'm going to say yes Man is sorry I thought I was like out of silence <laughs> no I thought I was on unmute yeah. I am going to say no as well I think there are a few teams it's just about going to miss out yeah it's it is not nothing against them you know it's just the fact that newcastle are stronger brighton are doing stuff on that on that note right another point yeah. guess okay. where west ham's wage bill is in the premier league mm. i reckon it's higher than we think I'm going to get much mm, I don't think so because they don't have any mad players. I just don't know how much they've paid like Kudus and Ward Prowse. But I'm going to say and Paqueta. I'm going to say 13th. I'm going to guess 8th. 
Once again, Alex is spot on. It's eight. Wow. Yeah, their <laughs> highest really earners. Good at, he's good at this. The highest earners: um, Calvin 150k, ah. Lucas Paqueta 150k, Danny Ings 125k, Kurt Zuma 125k, Alphonse Ariola 120k, Jared Bowen 120. So they have a lot of hun- they have yeah. 700 no. players. Are they paying Danny Ings more than Jared Bowen and James yes. Ward? Alphonse yes. Ariola should be the top owner because he's the best player on that team. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So I mean, if you look at it. Um, them being eighth, they have a higher wage bill than Newcastle and Everton. Uh, and higher they, than Newcastle. Yes, and they just below uh, Tottenham and Aston Villa. So if you're seeing the company they are keeping, coming sixth, seventh, eighth, or even ninth, is pretty good. I mean, with that wage bill, if um, David Moyes can turn at the owners and say, "I'll guarantee you seventh, eighth, ninth every year," they should take it. I think it's a good deal. Yeah, but also I think they should just trim the wage bill a bit, because like, and that's also possible. They can reduce their wage bill Zuma, to like tenth, eleventh, and still come seventh, eighth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you aren't even using your highest earners. So, yeah, I mean, the the point you made about them, you know, if if they can find a financial solution where they can, you know, take those seventh, eighth, ninth finishes and be sustainable, that's probably the best solution right now. So. In that case, just you know, chop a bit of the wage bill. Yes, very easy. There we go. We've we've solved West Ham, guys. Pay people less. That that's it. So yeah, that's that's the episode for you. Um, thank you very much for listening. Of course, a big thanks to you guys, Alex and Varun, um, for joining me. Uh, you can find all of us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Shailat Neel. Varun runs the at the Devils DNA account, and Alex is at Eurexpert underscore. And if you go to the at Get Football EO account. You will find in the bio the the handles of all our country and league specific accounts, which you can follow to be updated with all the news, videos, analysis, opinions, all sorts of stuff from the biggest leagues and teams in the world of football. You can find links to that, all of that that I just mentioned in the notes or description of this show, depending on where you're listening. And if your platform allows it, please do rate the podcast as well. But thank you very much for listening. Um, take care, and we'll see you next week. with what should be a very very interesting episode but take care till then bye bye